Friends, we're looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 5 today. If you're new with us, we've been in a, we're in the middle of a five-week series on union with Christ. When I'm born again, the Bible says, Paul specifically, that I am joined to Jesus and Jesus is joined to me. And we're spending time unpacking that truth and understanding what does that mean for us as believers. And so we've talked about what it looks like to receive the blessings through our union with Christ and to participate with Jesus in his suffering and his death and his resurrection in union with Christ and our new identity with him. And today we're talking about a fourth aspect, which is our connection to Christ as a corporate body. We don't join Jesus one by one. We join together as a full body, his church. He is the head, we are the body. And we're gonna see that explicitly in an unusual passage this morning, 1 Corinthians chapter five. Hear God's word beginning in verse one. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife. And you are arrogant, Ought you ought neither rather mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though I am absent in body, I am present in spirit, and as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, will you show us what it means to be your body? You as the head, we join to you corporately as the church, one church under you with one baptism, one faith, one Lord, one Savior, joined together in this precious union. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, friends, it's no surprise and it's not scandalous to say that church attendance, showing up on a Sunday morning for worship has fallen on hard times. Now y'all can breathe a sigh of relief because you came this morning and so I'm preaching just to the choir, to the people who are here to say, we know that this is true and we know that this is happening everywhere and we talk about it specifically post-COVID that it's happening in a new way where we've kind of ceased to see the importance of actually showing up in person on a Sunday morning to worship together, um, that's hard to do. And it's hard to see its importance and its relevance. Well, 1 Corinthians 5 says, take the cut flower, house cat, garden variety of a worship service, Sunday morning worship service that you have struggled with and run it through our union with Christ and out comes something extraordinary for us together in worship on Sunday mornings. We may have come in here bleary-eyed and distracted. We may have a mind on football this afternoon or work on Monday morning. We may have already checked our watch a couple of times and kind of saw where we stood in the liturgy. But Paul says something supernatural is happening right now in this gathering. You can't find this anywhere else. What happens here can't be counterfeited or approximated anywhere else. The church has assembled in Jesus. The church has assembled in Jesus. Now, I grew up in Washington, D.C., and we know a little something about grand assemblies. 
We know how to make a big impression when groups assemble. And you think about our nation's Senate, and when it's about to open for session, it's a big deal. And so if you're anywhere on Capitol Hill, you will hear bells ring. And if you're in certain buildings, you'll see lights flash, which is to announce to everybody that the accession is about, to, that the Senate is about to assemble. And, and when it is, in marches the vice president and chaplain and senators, staff, pages, clerks, scribes, reporters, all there, everybody knows something big is about to go down. You know it. Well, church... For budgetary and aesthetic reasons, we don't have any bells or lights this morning. But do you know, do you understand that something grander and more glorious and more powerful than any nation's political body has just assembled here in this room on Sumter Street and throughout the world, in almost every known language, the assembly in the name of Jesus is in session. The Lord is here, and he is present, and we see something uniquely about our union with Christ in it. We talked about these different aspects of union, that we have his blessings, that we join him in cruciform suffering, we have a brand new identity, but today we're talking about this fourth facet, to be joined to Jesus is to be joined to his body, the church, the assembly of the saints. And from our passage, I want to see five things about this assembly, five things that are going on in this room right now as we assemble and anywhere that a true church meets under the banner of Jesus. And the first thing is this, a church assembled in Jesus gathers in the name of Jesus. A church assembled in Jesus gathers in the name of Jesus. I get that from verse four, when you are assembled, in the name of the Lord Jesus. Doesn't that verse just stiffen what we're doing here together in our union with Jesus? I mean, language matters. The way we describe something matters. And so when you wander into work or school tomorrow morning and somebody asks you, what did you do yesterday? You could say, well, you know, I hit the 1030 and then I hit the brunch and then I watched some football and it was a good day. Or you could adopt biblical language and say, bro, we assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus. That's what I did yesterday. That was the event yesterday. The assembly was in session. We gathered in the name of the Lord Jesus. Doesn't that change the way we think about what we're doing here? Now, if I'm honest, sometimes I can downplay a Sunday morning gathering because I want to emphasize the reality of the church, and that is the church can't be reduced to a building. The church is not the building, and the church is not even what we're doing here on Sunday morning. This is part of who we are as the church, but, but a worship service is not the church. The church, rightly defined, are all God's people, past, present, future, one body under Jesus as our head, Colossians 1.18. When I think about the church, I think about the body. And, and to emphasize that, I like to talk more about the church scattered than the church gathered. 
When we go out from here, we're still the church. We scatter abroad and wherever we live or work or play, we never cease being the church and we never cease being the hands and feet of Jesus. And so I think it's important to remember we are as much the church scattered as we are here now, the church gathered. But I never wanna underemphasize what we do now. We can so prioritize or think about the church out there that we forget to prioritize what's happening here and we forget to get up and get out of bed and come together weekly in person because we miss the value of this thing. Paul says we are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus. The church is in session and everything we're about to do now is under the banner of Jesus himself. This is a big deal. To be here is a big deal. Well, what if we can't be here? Point number two, a church assembled in Jesus gathers in one spirit in Jesus. She gathers in one spirit in Jesus. I'm not gonna lie. Paul says something a little bit odd in this passage when he writes in verses three and four, for though I am absent in body, I am present in spirit, And if as as present, he goes on to say, I pronounce judgment on the one who did this thing when you're assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus. And he says again, and my spirit is present with you. We're about to get to Paul's judgment, but what does he mean when he says my spirit is with you? I heard a news anchor say something similarly. You know, they they announced this tragedy in the world and then they said, gee, our thoughts and our prayers are just kind of, are kind of going out in your direction and we're behind you emotionally and metaphorically as you're dealing with this thing. Is that what Paul is saying here? Like, you know, I'm just sending good vibes your way as you gather as the church? Well, I don't think so because he writes a few chapters later, he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. He says that in chapter six, verse 17. So if I'm joined to Jesus in spirit and you're joined to Jesus in spirit, then wherever Jesus is, the spirit of his people are gathered So when I do have to miss this assembly and I can't be here on a Sunday morning, it's a big deal. It's not like I missed the matinee of Oppenheimer and I'm just gonna catch it next week and you fill me in on what I missed. It's not a showing that I missed. It's an assembly that I missed. And I'm saying with Paul, you know, circumstances have kept me away in the body. I can't physically be there. I'm not in the state or I'm sick and I can't join you this morning. But this is the assembly of Jesus and whatever is done here in this room in Jesus's name, every baptism, every Lord's Supper, every instance of church discipline, every rebuke or blessing, I am there with you in spirit, in the spirit of Jesus, supporting the body and agreeing with her. What if that was our practice? If I can't assemble in person on a Sunday morning, I'm praying, I'm texting, I'm saying aloud, I'm with this body and spirit. Jesus has assembled his people. I physically can't be there. My spirit goes with you and supports the work of the body. Number three, a church assembled in Jesus gathers in the power of Jesus. Verse four, assembled, with the power of our Lord Jesus. See where I got that point? Right from verse four. Now, I think every kid who grows up going to church 
and maybe some adults to think that there's an awful lot of talking in church. You know, it's just, it's a lot of talking. Any kids here, 18 or under, that are just kind of nodding your heads thinking like, gee, there's a lot of talking when we come together. There's announcements and professions and confessions and then there's this pastor that drones on and on and can't land the plane. It's just like talking and talking and talking, which is ironic because Paul just said before our passage, back in chapter 4, verse 20, the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. Is Paul saying there won't be talking here on a Sunday morning? Of course not, because Paul is literally writing this massive letter to be read in church, and he's going to write another one to be read in church in Corinth. And Paul himself was known for preaching very long, all-night sermons with dire consequences to his congregation. So he can't mean that there's not going to be talking on a Sunday morning. He means there won't be empty talking on a Sunday morning. When the church is assembled in Jesus, she doesn't have time for empty talk. She wants power. She wants to see Jesus's power. Did anybody come here this morning because they had a couple of hours to burn and they wanted to hear a talking head drone on and on about the Lord knows what? Or did you assemble this morning because you feel weak and beaten down and guilty and ashamed in your walk and you are desperate for Jesus' real, true, redeeming, transforming, resurrecting power? We've come here for power. Jesus' power in Jesus' name. But not every building with a steeple is a church. And not every Sunday morning service is Jesus' true assembly. There's a bunch of fake churches. There are morning meetings happening all over our city, even in Columbia right now. They may claim the name of Jesus, and they may have the trappings of Jesus, and they may have the titles of clergy and look about the business of Jesus, but they are at once exposed as frauds by verse 4 because there is no power of Jesus in those places. And I tell you where there is no power of Jesus, there is no Jesus, because Jesus said in the Great Commission, All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me to apply to the church when I go with you wherever you go and where there is no power on a Sunday morning in a building with the name church on it, there is no Jesus. Where Jesus is, you will see, you will feel, you will testify to the living breathing, resurrecting power of Jesus. What is that power? What does it do in our midst? You hang around long enough and you will see the dead raised in conversion and you will see sin exposed and confessed and killed and you will see spiritual strongholds broken and marriages on the brink that are renewed, 
and real spiritual fruit in each other and real change that only God can give and fruits of humility and joy among God's people brought about by his Holy Spirit. A church assembled in Jesus is pulsing with the resurrection power of Jesus. You're going to see power in this place. Well, number four, a church assembled in Jesus gathers in the discipline of Jesus. You know, the whole reason this section is being written is because there's a man who is caught in deep sexual sin, and worse, the church hasn't done a thing about it. Now, this is important. We're not talking about a Christian who sins, because that's every single believer in this room. And we're not talking about a Christian who sins repeatedly, falling into the same things, because that's every single Christian in this room. We are talking about someone who says they are a Christian, but does not fight and does not repent of their sin. Does that make sense? So a true believer who sins and falls and fails repeatedly and hourly will feel an increasing conviction that they will repent and fight that sin and that's the Holy Spirit living inside of them. I won't be content. I won't manage this sin as we heard last week. I will seek to mortify this sin. That's a true believer. But a fake believer will do the same thing again and again and again and you'll watch them become callous to the point that they can do the thing and they feel no sorrow or remorse for it. And that's a very dangerous thing. Even so, Paul is actually not writing to the sinner, but to the church. The sinner has business to do with God and that's a serious thing. But right now, Paul has business to do with the church Because the church is responsible with what they are about to do with him because we've hit a crossroads with a union with Christ issue. If we believe in the corporate union of the church with Christ, then we have to do something about an unrepentant sinner in our midst. You don't have this problem at Broadway. If I go to a Broadway show and a flagrant sinner who's a stranger to me sits down next to me at the same show, I'm not responsible for him. I may pray for him. I may try to share the gospel with him, but we don't have a bond in Christ together and I got no business getting in his business. But if I show up here in the assembly of Jesus as a member of this place and a man or woman who claims the name of Jesus and takes the Lord's Supper of Jesus and joins the growth groups in Jesus and talks all about Jesus but snubs the lordship of Jesus and refuses to put down the very sin that is killing their soul, if I don't say anything about that, that is a serious, serious problem in the body. If we are joined to Christ together, if we pursue Christ together to ignore flagrant sin in our fellowship from someone who says she follows Jesus would be a stain on the entire body. Our joint union 
guards the purity of the body of Christ. Well, number five and finally, a church assembled in Jesus gathers in the expectation of the day of Jesus. Church as full and fulfilling and powerful and glorious and rich and warm and unified is this assembly in the name of Jesus, in one spirit in Jesus, in the power of Jesus, in the discipline of Jesus. There's a sense in which this will only ever be a full dress rehearsal. And I'm not dismissing the church as she is right now. I'm just anticipating the glory of the church assembly of what she will be face to face with Jesus. You heard the hope for the man being disciplined in verse five. We're doing this. We don't know where he stands before the Lord. We just know where he stands before us. He says he's a Christian and he says no to Jesus repeatedly. God will sort this out, verse five, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. I think our church community is in for some surprises on the day of the Lord. We didn't do the sorting. We were honest before the Lord about our church membership and the purity of the body, but we don't know where our heart stands before the Lord, and I think we will be delightfully surprised in the people that God knits to us on that day in Christ, unified as the body. When our joint union to Jesus as his bride, the church, is sealed, that will be Jesus' victory day, claiming the church visible and invisible for himself, and we will rejoice together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray you would open our eyes to see we are not privately united to you, personally and only united to you, but joined as a body, hands and feet and arms and legs under the headship of the Lord Jesus. You are our head. You are the one who unites us, but we gather in glory and unity together to celebrate your precious name. Would you bolster our faith, bolster our union to you and grow us as a church? We ask in Jesus' name, amen.